Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening everybody and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, George Cup. Hello everyone. This evening Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. So tonight we will be discussing... Would it be better to view lesbian, gay and bisexual issues and trans ones as separate? Which of these major world issues deserves the most media attention? And lastly, would you rather be an animal or a human? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked you guys the question, are exams an effective way of testing your ability to learn? And we've had some fascinating responses through. Uh, So first one's from Jacob. Jacob said, I think exams are fair because everyone is tested in the same way. I think it wouldn't be fair if everyone was tested in different ways to each other because how would you possibly be able to compare marks? People have different ways of learning and revising, but then I don't think there is any other way than to make sure that everyone everywhere is measured in the same way and exams seem to be the fairest way to do that. I mean, that's quite a nice kind of summary, probably, of of the reasoning why schools and universities would give, isn't it, George? What do you make of that? Yeah, it's it's always that kind of uh, that simple argument. And I'm sure that's the position of what the the government would use, to be honest with you, um, in that there isn't really that much of a a more of a fair way that they would see to test everyone because everyone has the same test and everyone um, gets the same question. So why should why should we treat anybody differently? My biggest issue with the the current way that the education system goes about is that a lot of people struggle with exams a lot of people um uh, the way they learn or the way their mind works can really cope with exams and do incredibly well in exams and retaining the uh, information whereas others don't do as well and i i also believe that essentially exams are a memory game i don't think it's necessarily 
about what you've learned. It's about trying to memorize certain things before you go into that exam. And I don't believe that is a true way of showing how the whole year has gone for that certain individual um, and student. So for me, I think that the, the, the exams can be much more updated than they currently are. Um, but I totally respect Jacob's point of view, um, and it, it is a very good argument and an argument that is being used by academics today. Um, what are your thoughts, Callum? Yeah, no, I think it's a, um, a really interesting opinion from Jacob, and I think he, he's right. You know, um, exams, to a certain extent, I think are fair because there is that, that standard that everyone is tested on. Um, I, I think I take issue when um, the grade boundaries in exams are dependent upon performance. I think grade boundaries should be set straight away and it shouldn't be that if everyone doesn't do well, then some of those that didn't do well but maybe done slightly better to end up doing better than what they would have if more people had done well, if, if that uh, makes sense. Um, so, so I do take issue with that. But I also take issue in terms of exams in, in what George was saying in, in terms of they are literally just a memory game, aren't they, at the end of the day? And it's about testing your ability to recall information rather than um, actually do anything really in the real world. Um, and I think in certain circumstances, that does make sense as, as a kind of uh, recall exercise. Um, but I think there's, there's plenty of times when actually, surely a better idea would be if exams did sometimes have some of the resources you would have in real life. So so an example would be I am sitting um, this week coming an exam about ethical regulation um, of, of the press. Um, and so they give you these, these scenarios of ethical conundrums um, and, and you've got to basically highlight um, what you would do uh, and kind of what's gone wrong already. Now, in the real world, you would have in front of you an, an ethical code which which tells you or at least hints at some of the kind of answers to a lot of these questions. And I think that's the case for a lot of exams that they're testing your ability to recall this information when really they should be um, testing your ability to to look at all of the information that you would have in the real world and actually then apply that. Um, to something and I think in, in schools they could do that a hell of a lot more as well so so I think there is a an issue there uh, in terms of it's just literally a memory game as George says yeah no and I <clears throat> excuse me I totally agree um our next opinion is from Eliza and they say I don't think people should be tested differently based on whether they test well or not but I do think we should be tested in more different ways everyone should be so much of our grades are made up of exams now but they should take into consideration classwork assessments and maybe a more creative element too that way everyone has a fair chance to excel in their own way but everyone is tested on everything also in life you don't just use the information you learn at school when answering questions written down on a piece of paper the information you learn you might need to use in many different ways so you should be tested in many different ways well Callum that's kind of quite similar to what you were saying I suppose so do you I'm guessing you agree with what Eliza is saying here yeah yeah no I think um I do agree with Eliza that um, I think definitely 
you know, we, we should be taking into consideration a lot more ways of assessing things. Um, and I think, you know, coursework is, is one way or, or classwork as well. Um, and, and kind of more creative things as well, certainly for certain subjects. Um, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of, it's actually a quite a circular argument because I think what tends to happen is, uh, in general terms, although this might not always necessarily be the case, but I think in general terms, what we see is when, when Labour are in power, we um, tend to have schools go more along the lines of having um, more kind of coursework elements as part of the assessment. Um, and then and maybe there's too much of that. And then when the Conservatives come into power, it kind of goes the other way. And maybe we have too much focus on exams and not enough focus on, on coursework, possibly. Um, and, and I think just just generally within education, there is that circularity to, to, to what happens. So probably um, if we were talking about this under a Labour government, we might sound we should maybe have more more exams rather than coursework, which obviously can be really, really helped by teachers and parents, which isn't necessarily what we should um, be trying to have have things do in school. Uh, what do you think, George? Yeah, I, I totally agree with um, what Eliza is saying here. <clears throat> I think that it's we uh, to have a test and to test someone's ability on how well they have performed over a year, um, as I said earlier, should not just be down to one single uh, exam that has been taken in two hours. It should be taken from different areas of the, of that subject in, in from their um, class books to the coursework that they've done. And, and also even in certain classes like sciences, it should be taken on the practicals um, that they've done and the, the experiments that they've been able to show in, in and that being able to understand that that chemical into that chemical does that um, and be able to prove it in a physical way not just on a bit of paper um, I also believe that when I studied at uni I actually found um, writing essays a lot more beneficial um, than doing exams because I, I found that essays that wasn't just about um, recalling memory it was about going out there doing evidence showing and proving that you're drawing information from outside sources and understanding what you've just been taught and I think that is a good way to test people as well um, and, and I don't think there is a, an issue in, in trying to bring essay kind of exams but set at home not in an exam environment but set at home on a laptop where you can get the information yourself um i think that's the way forward for exams for me yeah no i mean i i agree uh, i i but i am generally quite okay at essays i mean i guess a lot of people would be sat at home saying i absolutely hate writing essays as well yeah um, so i mean i guess that is exactly what eliza's saying in terms of it needs to be there needs to be that variety there um, just moving on to our last opinion from Charlie. Charlie said, there's no one type of testing that will suit everyone. I don't love exams, but I do quite well in exam conditions. I don't know if there is a solution which suits everyone, which is a shame. I think the place where a lot of people trip up with exams, especially with GCSEs, is that you have to learn so many different things and are tested on them in such a short period of time. I know that with lots of my friends, we're about to do GCSEs. And that's why it is so difficult. If we were given more time and it was spread out more, then it would be easier for more people and you would actually learn things rather than just memorise it. 
George, what, what do you make of that in terms of spreading <clears throat> exams out a little bit more? Yeah, I think um, this is a, another big issue when it comes to exams and assessing people. And Charlie makes a very good point about it because I, I find it peculiar that we um, are examined on, as both kind of and I have stated, on, on how well our memory is in a very short period of time. I mean, we've had over a year, if not more, of teaching on this certain subject. And then you're expected to put what you have learned out on a bit of paper in an hour, if not two hours. Um, and I, I find that hard to understand. How can you translate all you've just learned over a year um, in under two hours? It, it creates pressure that I believe is unnecessary. It creates an environment as well that is unnecessary. And I don't see why there is why we should put that pressure on on anybody teenagers children and um, whatever form of education they're doing i totally agree that we should look into seeing whether or not we can put these exams into a longer area into in, time wise to to take that time element away from that pressure i mean for example i, I will go back to the um, essay example where you are set a deadline and it's up to you to make sure you get to that deadline you're not set you have to do this in two hours you're normally given probably three to four weeks to do it and it's up to you and your maturity to make sure that you get on with that and and get organized to be able to deliver it for the um, teacher in time so I think that is definitely an area where they should look at in terms of exams and I personally think that if they take the time element away you would see exam results go up what's your opinion though Callum? Yeah I mean I, I agree with the idea of in terms of spreading things out I mean I guess just to kind of provide some sense of balance probably those that um, are big advocates of of exams as a as a way of of testing your ability to learn as the, the question originally posed would would probably say that a part of it's just down to practicality in terms of as you kind of alluded to there George if you set essays and coursework there's a lot of um, people who just wouldn't do that on time and then what do you do? do you, generally, what ends up happening is they get extensions and things like that, and they they don't hit the deadlines. Um, so, so I guess there's a pro real practical element in terms of exams. If everyone's there on the day, they they have to do it, and and at least there's that kind of fairness rather than you know those that do it on time then actually ended up having two weeks less to do it than those that get extensions. I mean, do you think there's credence to that argument? Yeah, no, no, and I, I, I do appreciate that, but I believe that in that argument there must be a balance of, of the uh, whether or not there is an element to extending times for exams. Um, I think also you could even argue that if people don't want to do it, then um, or miss the the exam time, then they get a zero for that, and it it should be them that face the consequences, not the schools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as is so often the case, I suppose. As you say, it's it's kind of about finding that that balance there, isn't it, between these these two different arguments. Um, right then, we've reached time to end that segment of the show. But remember, we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. And we've reached time for our first song break. So we'll be back very soon. <laughs>
Hello and welcome back to uh, To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, would it be better to view lesbian, gay and bisexual issues and trans ones as separate? So after... Uh, over the last year or so, um, there's been a group come together called the LGB Alliance, um, and they believe um, that they sorry, I quote from their website saying we believe that attempts to introduce confusion between biological sex and the notion of gender are harming LGB people. One way to protect same sex attractive people is, for example, to encourage organizations to record numbers of LGB employees separately to numbers of transgender employees. Now, from this going forward, Callum and I have had a few discussions on the radio show whether or not um, how bisexuals feel in the whole LGBTQ plus community um, and, and how whether or not things should be different in terms of separating them in, in their rights and issues. It is a very hard and complicated discussion to have. Um, and Callum and I will do our absolute best to ensure that we um, bring all sides of the argument to this. But Callum, what are your beliefs over this? Do you think that it is right to, to separate all different um, kinds of sexualities into different categories? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, as, as you say, George, firstly, I mean, this is a, a really complicated discussion to have. It's obviously a very charged discussion to have. Um, and as two people that are not LGB or indeed T, uh, it does make it, probably particularly hard for us to truly truly understand these issues but as you say we we will kind of do our best in terms of this uh, and my view is that i think that lgbt plus issues should be seen as one kind of group not because they've got necessarily the same the same issues and the, the same needs but i think that by separating them, we kind of imply that that maybe these these rights of these people are in conflict with each other, and and I do not see um, how an advance for transgender people is in any way um, negative towards LGB people, providing there's necessary kind of protections there. And I I guess the people from the LGB Alliance would basically suggest that that their issue. As such, and the reason why they want to be, view their kind of rights as separate to trans, transgender people um, is that they are concerned about the idea of self-identification self of gender and a kind of knee, what they would maybe describe as a knee-jerk move towards allowing people uh, to transition too young. They're particularly concerned about the fact the, the kind of age of consent of that is now possibly being discussed, I think, in Scotland to, to move into 16 now. Um, and, and they're obviously concerned about what kind of um, damage this could do or to, to young people, but also to, to um, young people who are particularly, they, they focus actually on lesbians and bisexuals. Um, so I, I can see... Um, that I do think there is people that do actually have those genuine concerns. And for me personally, I think we, we can't obviously transitioning is such a, a big, big 
issue as such, and it's such a big, big decision that we, we must make sure that there's always kind of adequate measures in place just to make sure this is absolutely truly what people want. But I also think we have to accept the fact that quite often with the LGB alliance and similar groups, that they've had a habit of with some of their members actually demonising trans people and kind of demonising the trans cause as well. Um, and, and we've got to make sure we don't fall in the trap of that because mm. at the end of the day, I mean, trans people probably are one of the most discriminated groups in society. Um, and we, we have to stand up for them. I think that's our moral imperative. Uh, what do you think, George? Yeah, um, I absolutely agree and echo with what you're saying. I, it, it's, it, I, I'm going to um, probably put the obvious out there, but it, it is hard to talk about um, situations like this when you are a heterosexual white male. Um, but that doesn't mean we absolutely should not be talking about it because I think every awareness around issues like this is, is absolutely essential. Um, so, but, so my beliefs around this are that I would look at this and say the LGBT community are a minority community that have been victimized um, consistently over many years. And finally, we are seeing um, great improvements within their rights, within the awareness around them, and that they are um, being finally being able to be themselves in our societies. And I take issue in the way that the um, LGB alliance has come out to say that these should be treated in separate issues, because if you are in communities such as the LGBT uh, community, I, I would want to be going through certain situations like that together. I would want to be able to relate to people around me and I would want to know that I have that security of such a strong um, group to support me through whatever I was going through as Callum has rightly stated that even today um, going through a transition coming out as gay um, can always be incredibly hard and those people are normally in a vulnerable situation that feel like they can't come out um, straight away and th surely these communities should be supporting them no doubt for me, separating the issues into individual categories just doesn't make sense. I feel like we're victimizing groups and people for choosing certain sexualities for absolutely no point. We're just trying to make further issues for them and segregating against them as well. Um, I do, however, I, I must say I do agree with what Callum was relating to in terms that I think that um, the LG LGBT community is right to, or sorry, the LGB alliance is right to try and uh, raise caution around the sex transition and what age that should come in at, because that is a discussion to be developed further. But I would say that kicking them out of the group, as it were, or the community doesn't do it any favours. You're just shutting the door on it. I don't believe that's that's trying to make awareness of it. You're just trying to say we don't agree with it, so don't come in our group. Whereas if you are a group and community together, then you can work on that together and make sure that all of your beliefs are recognised. Um, I think also what's quite 
interesting around this is I believe it was a couple of months ago um, or maybe even a couple of weeks ago that Callum and I had a discussion around bisexuals um, in the LGBT plus community and how they are being uh, represented because a lot of the time it's the bisexuals um, bisexual people that don't feel like they can fit into the, into the LGBT community and that they can't be a part of what's going on because they are victimized within that own community. So it is interesting to see that the LGB Alliance would like them within their group and community. Um, unfortunately, this is a very, very big issue and there are a lot and a lot of undermining arguments and issues going on. And personally i know it's wishful thinking and it's probably an easy argument to just brush off but i would say i think it's sad that we have to have these conversations that we have to even um try and categorize people into certain communities when surely we should be living in a society in an area where this shouldn't this should just be accepted we don't need to worry about it yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I agree with you there, George, as well. I mean, I, I guess the other argument that um, those that are maybe saying that these should be separate issues, and and it's a it's a massive can of worms, which is probably worthy of another discussion in itself. But the other argument would be um, around transgender sports people and and tra- transgender people competing in categories of certain things which is not the kind of gender that or sorry the sex i should say that they were assigned at birth Mm. so the example would be that there's a transgender weightlifter called laurel hubbard who um won gold at the pacific games for, for weightlifting um with the new zealand women's group but actually was born biologically male um, and obviously this is a, a massive, massive can of worms, but they would kind of use this to, to suggest that it can actually end up being harmful to other groups' rights. In this case, I, I guess more women's rights it would be harmful for um, mm-hmm. by allowing a transgender athlete to compete. Um, I mean, obviously, as I say, it's, it's so difficult, really, I think, to, to give a concrete answer here, George, but I mean, where where do you think you you stand on that? Do you, do you think that um, transgender athletes should be able to to compete in sports events in um, categories which is not the uh, sex that they were biologically born to? I think if I'm honest, um, I'm going to put myself out here and I, I'm I'm going to say that I do believe that if if transgender um, people decide to take part in um, the said sex sport. Um, it's hard for women to compete against them. If if someone is physically born a male, they are going to have male physicalities of their body, which will mean that it is hard for women to compete against. Now, I'm not in that sentence taking away the rights of an individual to be a, uh, to be born male and become female, but we have to take into consideration, as Callum has said, that the rights of um, the sex that they are also competing in. So I would personally say, I think that we should possibly look at even having a category for transgender people themselves um, to have a sport category for, to take that forward. Because I think as much as 
transgender people want to be identified as that said sex i don't believe physically when it comes to sports we can ultimately um compare them to the sex that they um have transitioned into because just physically i don't believe that is possible so there is no reason for us not to be able to allow them to take part in sports but to allow them to have their own category of sport what what are your views on that callum yeah i i I think instinctively i do kind of come down with you there my my main concern is that if we are to say that that uh, in this example a, a transgender woman is to to not compete in the women's categories then then we're we're effectively saying that, that she's not a woman, aren't we? Um, and which is not something I I wish to do, um, because I think everyone should be able to identify how they want and how they feel most comf- uh, most happy. So it's really really difficult, um, mm. and I, I I'm not going to come down hard on on either side here, but I think we have to be wary that that's the risk we run by having even a separate transgender category. That is a, a real risk we, we run. And I, I don't think m- most people want to do that to, to deny people their identity. No, no, absolutely not. And I, and I wouldn't ever, um, I still believe that they can be recognised as females, um, even if there was a separate category or males, if there was a separate category um, as a transgender person. Um, right. OK, let's uh, move on to our second song break of this evening. Remember, you can vote on this. Would it be better to view lesbian, gay and bisexual issues and trans ones as separate? And you can do that wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, would it be better to view lesbian, gay and bisexual issues and trans ones as separate? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. We are asking which of these major world issues deserves the most media attention? And I'll read out the options in a second. So, For George and I, it is always really difficult to know which topics to discuss. We live in such a fast-paced world with multiple stories competing for the spotlight at any one time that it's often really difficult to prioritise. This is a problem shared by probably every newsroom across the country, whether it's in broadcast or in print. So sometimes it can be good to understand a bit more what your audience sees as a priority, what they think the media should focus more upon. So with that in mind, let's take a look at three seismic issues which are grabbing headlines at the moment and see which you guys think should be treated as the most pressing by news organisations. So the first is is the coronavirus outbreak and, and as it continues to put governments on alert across the world, should we focus on that? Or perhaps climate change and the emergency facing our planet? is the more urgent matter? Or does the plight of refugees fleeing war zones in the Middle East cause you the most concern? George, which of those issues, as important as they all are, deserves the most media attention? 
I think, um, firstly, what I will pick up on is the, the element of importance. Um, I believe that when you choose to talk about a certain story or a certain uh, individual, people then believe that you are uh, portraying that the other issue is not as important. And I think that that is completely wrong. What, what, what I'm going to say and what I believe should be in the headline news um, does not mean that the other two that I haven't said aren't important to me. I think all three of these issues are incredibly important. Um, I just believe that right now there is one that is more prominent and more uh, crucial to our population than any others. So for me, I would move forward um, and suggest that the coronavirus outbreak should be the one to take the limelight on um, the media. Why? Because it's something that is hitting the news or should be hitting the news 24 seven to ensure that people are aware of what is going on and people are updated of how to um, keep safe around this virus. This virus is something that we don't know about. It's something that we are unsure of how to ultimately cure. It's something that we are still learning about. And because of that, we have to be so aware and make sure that every single individual is aware of what is going on. Um, it's and it's just purely for the safety of our population. Uh, and that is the underlining factor for me. Um, and it's the thing as well that right now is can affect the most people um, in the worst way. Now, Absolutely. I would also argue that climate change will affect people. But the key in what I've just said there is it will affect people. There are a lot of things going on in the background regarding climate change that are happening. People are aware of climate change, maybe not as many people as we would like. But I still believe that it's more there's more people knowing about climate change than there are the coronavirus and how to, to deal with it. Um I think the climate change as well is something that is, of course, will happen in the future. And it's not something that is happening right now in terms of the effects that it can have on us. Um, and then, yeah, you've got the refugee fleeing war and it, and it is a crisis and we absolutely should do everything we can to help them to ensure that they are safe. But and I know this is going to sound incredibly cruel and incredibly harsh, but I do believe that the refugee crisis is not something that we can help as an individual. We we can't physically go over and actually really help them. And that's why I believe that in terms of the headline news, that shouldn't be on there. It should be the coronavirus. But Callum, what are your beliefs? Yeah, I, I agree that the coronavirus, I think, probably does deserve the most media attention at the moment. And indeed, it is getting it. Um, I mean, it, it is virtually every top story on on any um, major news publications nationally mm. uh, and indeed internationally leads with coronavirus stories and, and they fill up most of the stories on there. Um, and I think that is right. You know, at the end of the day, the, the threat this could potentially pose to populations is, is big. Um, I think we should also balance that with the fact that so far the majority of people that, that do indeed get the coronavirus are surviving yes. at the end of the day and and the majority of people are obviously afflicted by symptoms but 
not by the really severe ones that lead to fatalities. Um, and, and I think probably in all media coverage, that's my main criticism, I don't think there's been enough um, of an awareness spread around the fact that this, whilst obviously an alarming thing, isn't as sensational as what some news organisations have made out. Um, so I, I think that is one kind of lesson we could learn in terms of this, in terms of reporting health stories in, in general. Because I think there's a tendency, certainly in the British press, to sensationalise health stories and make them turn them into scare stories. But then, of course, these other issues, as you say, George, are, are worthy of media attention in themselves. I don't think they should be, they should get the most media attention right now because they're kind of stories that are always bubbling away a little bit in the background. I mean, obviously, the, the climate, climate change, the climate emergency um, is always there. There's always a protest um, going on. I mean, only, I think it was last Friday, uh, so not the Friday of this week, but the Friday before, um, Greta Thunberg came to uh, Bristol and gave a speech and, you know, um, thousands and thousands of people turned up to, to watch that. And we obviously see the school strikes every, uh, I think it's once a month, uh, every Friday or something like that. Um, yeah. and, and so obviously the climate change and, and the climate emergency is something that deserves media attention because of this and because of the real impacts that it's particularly um, having on the global south. Um, but I think right now, coronavirus kind of trumps that in a way, if it's not too um, hard a way of saying it. And then, of course, the refugee crisis. I mean, arguably, this, you could argue, I think, deserves as much attention as what the coronavirus outbreak does because if the reason why the coronavirus is so important is that it's a, it's that it's um harming people's lives right now and it's it's causing fatalities well the refugee crisis I'm I'm sorry to say it is doing that too um and it's partly because of obviously the fact they're fleeing war in the first place is, is obviously something that's threatening lives, but also um, the rather um, dismissive attitude of, of most governments in Europe, let's be frank, but, and yes. really across the West, about yeah. um, refugees and kind of trying to um, kind of uh, leave it all in the hands of one country to deal with. Um, yeah. And so... I mean, George, what do you make of that in terms of an argument that, that actually the refugee crisis maybe deserves as much media attention as the coronavirus because of the fact that it's causing fatalities itself, the refugee crisis? I, I, I refer back to the point uh, that I made earlier that I, as much as I uh, think it's horrendous what is going on in terms of the refugee crisis, I don't believe it does deserve that element of a headline news because physically as an individual you cannot do anything to really and truly help them um yes you can give money to charities and yes you can try and lobby your uh, member of parliament but physically there's nothing you can do whereas given contrast to the, to the coronavirus with the awareness being made difference can happen in terms of washing your hands and, and things like that so that is my argument against that 
Okay, yeah, very, very interesting. I think, you know, um, got some good points um, in there, definitely. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's kind of put you on the spot a bit, but I mean, I guess you can put a little bit more pressure on kind of working within within Parliament. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, as me personally talking as an individual, I, I can put more pressure on Parliament and I can request that my boss um my mp that i work for does have the meetings around it, this crisis but i think unfortunately as um the general public that obviously don't work in parliament or for an mp don't have that uh necessary the, the, the direct contact to ensure that pressure is implied yeah yeah fair. and uh which of these do you think is going to come out on top which one do you think people are going to say deserves the most media attention I believe that um, as much as people are worried around climate change, I think the coronavirus will just come out on top. What do you think? See, I think the coronavirus will come out on top by quite a lot, and then it will indeed be climate change and refugee crisis will um, be third in that. But it's now time for you guys to vote away on that. So the question again is, which of these major world issues deserves the most media attention? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And just again, those options are coronavirus outbreak, climate change or the refugee crisis. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked which of these major world issues deserves the most media attention. And to find out the results to that poll, Head over to our Twitter page, that's at WizRadio. Right, okay, let's move on to the discussion I know you have all been waiting for. Uh, <laughs> would you rather be an animal or a human? So obviously, we all know what it's like to be a human. You've got to pay bills, you've got to go out to work, you've got to make sure that you have things in life to actually be able to live. Whereas in most cases, if we talk about domestic animals, you have quite an easy life. You don't have to go to work you don't have to pay for anything you get to lounge around sleep all day um and it can be a very nice life in, in, including wild animals i do believe but the crucial question is would you rather transform into an animal and you live your life as a animal of your choice or stay as a human callum what's your answer uh, so well I think we probably have to kind of break down a little bit what kind of animal we're talking about here. Because, I mean, for me, would it, if it was right, would I rather be a pet or a human? I'd, I'd want to be a human. Because if, if we're talking about cats and dogs, as much as they're great, and as you know, George, I actually love cats in particular. I thought you hated them. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's you, George. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, as much as I, I do love them, um, they lack any real autonomy, um, particularly, I suppose, dogs, um, because you're fed by someone, you're you're penned in relatively all day. Okay, cats might have a cat fat, so they, they've got a little bit more freedom there. Um, and you're really beholden to what your human does. So, of course, in that, that situation, I think I'd rather be a human. But if we're talking about wild animals, which I, I guess we, we can be, um, I, I think I'd be quite. I'd quite like to be a wolf or something like that, something where I can run around. 
But then I also think that even then are we beholden to humans a lot? Because let's be honest, this is a, a world which is so dictated by man now um, with, you know, roads and deforestation and, and just kind of the general way in which human infrastructure has overtaken. Um, so, so, I, so I guess then I probably still would say, basically, I'd rather be a human. And I never thought I'd say that, but <laughs> I just think this is a, a human world now as, as bad as that is in, in a way. What, what do you think, George? Well, as as uh, you know, Callum, I am someone that absolutely loves um, animals and I, I appreciate them every single day. And I think you make a very good point in terms that it's very different when you try and compare an animal that is domesticated um, compared to some, an animal that is wild. And for, for me, if I was an animal that is domesticated, I know you can't guarantee it, but I would want to be with a family that's loving um, because we unfortunately. Fortunately, there are so many cases out there that um, of animals that are domesticated that are in someone's home and they get completely abused. Um, and I would never obviously want to be in that situation as an animal. Um, so then I look upon whether I would want to be a wild animal. And I, and I absolutely think I would love to be a wild animal. Um, I think that that level of freedom and, and just the I don't know, the the the, the ability to, to not have the worries of being a human um, would be rather nice. I, I appreciate that animals also have worries of trying to eat every day and, and, and trying to make sure that their their family line carries on and defending their family. And it's not Game so, of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. Um, so I would say that I would actually like to be an animal um and the animal that i would like to be is probably is either then these are very contrasting animals but i would either like to be a lion um or i would probably like to be a sloth a sloth yes good job because you look like one george (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i mean you you say you'd want to be an animal but do you think the only trouble with that would be and would you miss having sentience i mean this is maybe getting into more of a westworld kind of discussion but but would you miss having feelings as it were and and the ability to reason because okay yes animals can be fairly smart but not quite in the same way that humans are would you not miss that if you were a lion or a sloth (laughs) <laughs> I think uh, I personally believe that the animals can feel and I believe there's enough evidence to prove that um, that you know of course you do feel sadness and you feel that level of uh, protection of your family and yeah but at the same time I think it would be a lot easier to not have those feelings because a lot of anxiety and worry comes from having too many feelings going on in your head um, and not having that ability to to worry or have that anxiety for me actually would be rather nice mm-hmm. yeah no interesting actually i suppose i mean it's quite kind of depressing though isn't it that, that you, you wouldn't want those things um i wouldn't say it's depressing i would say it's i've experienced this this much of my life and and i think it would be nice to try and experience a different way of life as an animal <laughs> so i would I, I want both worlds i want to be able to compare you know right. so yeah so anyway um what do you think is going to come out on top Colin? <laughs> i think people are going to say animal 
they'd rather. Yeah. What about you? Do you use I same? I agree. I think after my um amazing speech there about being a lion, I reckon people want to be lions now. Well, and you can, can... we just before we go, something. Why uh, do you want to be a sloth? It's none of your business. Well, uh, um, it is because I'm your co-host. Uh, not for much longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... well, as James told you, then finally, oh, thank God. <laughs> Uh, I thought we can have an awkward discussion. (laughs) That's next week's topic. Um, (laughs) Right. Stop it. Let's get back on track. Uh, You guys can vote on whether you would like to be an animal or a human. Um, And you can do that at wizardred at uk forward slash listen. uh, And we'll be back after this song break. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the incredibly interesting question of would you rather be an animal or a human? And to find out the results of that, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Well, unfortunately, everybody, it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving for another week. Um, so thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Go. We really do hope you've enjoyed this episode. Can we just back up before though we before I do my whole outro bit? Um, why do you want to uh, be a sloth, George? You never explained. You never answered the question. Classic politician move. Uh, so as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question: How has the coronavirus outbreak affected you? You can send in your send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. So remember that question is: How has the coronavirus outbreak affected you? And uh, Callum and I are really looking forward to hearing those next week. But as always, I have been the all right average Callum Gurr. <laughs> and I've been George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. I want the answer next week, uh, where you can tune in too, and we'll be there at the same time and same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.